so it's never new and it never gets old and it's a folk song. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Underrated Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss underrated films or ones that are have slipped under the radar or just a little bit underappreciated. I am one of your hosts, Derek McDuff. Uh, with me, as always, is my co-host, Ariel Ortiz. Hello. And joining us today, we have a special guest, Austin Olivia Kendrick. That's me. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on. Uh, Austin is uh, is kind of a friend of the podcast. Uh, she uh, is on another podcast. She's the sound designer and voice of Adara on the Legacy Saga, which is a kind of, D- not an actual play, but a D&D kind of inspired podcast. Uh, so, yeah. You know, yeah. Also a, you know, shout out to our friend Irvin, um, who is also on that show. Uh, and then uh, also, of course, she's a TikTok star. Uh, she is the TikTok. You can find her at aok.wave because, as we mentioned, she's a sound designer. Good sound designer <laughs> joke there. Um, That's the extent of my cleverness. That's what we've got. <laughs> That's the top of the top of the line, y'all. Top of the line. You no, know, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It beats it beats any of my usernames, uh, so, which are usually just my name or something dumb I made when I was fourteen. Um, <laughs> but today we are going to be talking about Austin's pick, which is. Inside Lewin Davis, a 2013 movie directed by the Coen brothers starring Oscar Isaac and a slew of great character actors. Um, you know, this is kind of one of their, I would say it's definitely, uh, it's definitely underrated in that it's not a huge hit like True Grit was, which, you know, made a ton of money um, and got nominated for 10 Oscars. This one has a much smaller, but I would say still very devoted fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, but Austin, since this was your pick, um, why don't you go ahead and start us off here and tell us why you chose this movie? Gladly. Um, I first watched this film uh, when I started at film school when I was, you know, 20, 21 years old. And I remember it just kind of striking me and it hit me in a very specific emotion that I can't quite wrap words around to this day, but it made me feel very deeply. And it's funny because to this day, you know, I'm, I'm, it's been five years since I've seen it for the first time. And I watched it again for probably was like two dozenth time this past week it, to prepare for this, uh, this show. And I still cried <laughs> despite the fact that I've, I've seen it a million times. And I, I feel like this film is very unique in that I feel like every time I watch it, I'm interacting with it differently. It feels like every every time I watch it, I'm getting a unique interaction out of it because I'm in a different point in my life at a different place with different experiences. And this film is, is unique in that. And it's mostly because, I mean, spoiler alert, there's not much of a plot in this movie. <laughs> um, there really isn't. It's It's just following this really deeply flawed protagonist like he is deeply unlikable while at Mm -hmm. the same time being deeply sympathetic um the coens are are so incredible at making you feel for this character who gives you every reason to not like him and to empathize with what he's feeling and how he's interacting with the world 
And I, I feel like because I bring every time I go back to this movie, I bring a, a slew of different experiences and growth that like me interacting with that character, you know, it just it keeps my relationship with the film keeps growing and changing and evolving. But, you know, there are other films out there that are character pieces, you know, that follow that are just about following a protagonist. But usually with films like that, you see, especially with protagonists that are unlikable and deeply flawed, um, like Lewin is, you expect to see from the beginning to the end, the character learning something and growing. That doesn't even really happen here because the very first scene in the film, which is him getting the shit kicked out of him in an alleyway because he was heckling somebody at a, a show. Um, that very first scene, which you would expect like, oh, our characters, you know, in a, in a bad place and has a lot of growing to do. And so we're going to see him grow, you know, as he goes along. No. The very last scene is the exact same one as the opening scene. So the, the movie becomes this Mobius strip, you know, of this kind of just eternal loop, you know? And so it kind of leaves you with this, this strange feeling when you walk away from it because you've gone on this whole journey with this character only to realize, has he really changed? Has he grown? Is he going to go anywhere from here? Is he just stuck in this eternal loop? And I feel like sometimes, especially as I've moved through adulthood, sometimes I get this feeling of, am I just in a loop? You know, is this just <laughs> all there is? Is it just, is it, do I just get up, go to work, you know, keep myself alive and then go back to sleep? You know, I have days where it feels like that. And to have that very specific, specific experience and that kind of, wrapped in in a film is is something that I feel like makes this one very unique it speaks to a very specific experience and I just Oscar Isaac is also just really incredible in it he's yeah. and he's also very hot so <laughs> yes he is yes he is uh, also I will say god damn it Garrett Hedlund in this movie like I mm. I'm a straight dude but like especially when he has, a, has that mustache and like I will just say real fast that, like, he's one of those guys who Hollywood was like, let's make him a leading man because he's just so handsome. Exactly. And I think he's, he's like, he's, he's like the same thing with Colin Farrell. He's a really good character actor who was just too handsome to be a character actor. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to see him in that role. But that's a whole, whole other thing. Um, and and I, I also, I mean, like, if anyone's having like, hey, why should I watch this movie? You watch Oscar Isaac and Adam Driver sing a song about space. Um, that was <laughs> yes. really two or three years before episode mm -hmm. seven um so what what more reason do you need please mr kennedy is an absolute bop and i stand by <laughs> it yeah no you know absolutely um you you really hit on what i think was the main takeaway that i had from the movie was i loved how just brilliant and subversive the whole cyclical nature of it was where it's like oh we start exactly where we begin. We see, even though it's like not like that kind of, you wouldn't really expect it to be that kind of movie. It seems like a very real world, but with the Coens, there's always something just like a little bit magical. It'll be like the, you know, it's, uh, they were talking about that on uh, this podcast that everyone should go listen to beyond the screenplay, but it's just kind of a little bit out there. It's not exactly the real world. There's like the dude, like in the, the dude talks to the cowboy in this one. It's like, okay, things are repeating and I, I absolutely love that. You mentioned that in most movies, you'd see a character who is sympathetic, but kind of a dick. And you would see 
him or her kind of grow over the course of the film and, you know, kind of learn their lessons and eventually kind of do the right thing. Sometimes, though, you will even get the opposite of that, where you see a character who is like that and, you know, it's becoming more and more popular, especially on TV, less so with movies, mm-hmm. but you have that flawed, angry, like, protagonist who, you know, like your Tony Sopranos or your Walter Whites, and they get kind of what they deserve at the end. But mm-hmm. it's something, I can't think of another example where it's like, no, they they end exactly where they are. You have Iron Man, compare him to two other, those two other types that I just said, you have Iron Man who is a pompous asshole, grows and learns by the end of Iron Man 1 to kind of be a hero. You have Nightmare Alley where you have Bradley Cooper in that movie, he sucks at the beginning, and he gets what he deserves at the end. But in this, nothing changes. Everything kind of comes all the way back around. And I think there's some things that they do in this that are really, really smart. I, that are definitely subverted. They're there just to subvert your knowledge of film and what you think should be in a film or what should be there to be a good protagonist. And the whole cat thing, I think, is super interesting. Because mm-hmm. you have, you know, the... The Save the Cat thing, the most famous book on screenwriting, which is, in my opinion, something that has really hurt the film industry. And for anybody listening who doesn't know, the whole Save the Cat thing is, um, it's from this uh, screenwriter, or uh, Snyder, Dan Snyder, something Snyder, um, who basically the point is that if you you get your protagonist, you have to make your protagonist likable. And how do you do that? You give them something to do, someone to save. And the example he uses is when an alien... Ripley saves the cat, she saves Jonesy, and so you like her. And this one, he literally, like, abandons the cat in a car with a guy who's just OD'd on heroin, and he just kind of, like, fucks off. And it's not ever cruel. It's not like he does this because he's like, fuck this cat. He just tried to watch the cat for a little while, and he's like, he kind of leaves, and he's like, all right, I guess I'm going now, because he's just kind of, he's kind of that kind of guy. He's not the guy who is going to save the cat. This movie is not trying to make this guy likable. There's another scene where it's a kind of Schrodinger's cat situation. Where it's like, did he run over this cat? There's a little blood, so it's left, you know, kind of ambiguous. And, you know, then you see the cat come back, of course, at the end, and it's called Ulysses, which is, of course, you know, ties back into uh, the other Coen Brothers film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is also, the music was done by... Um, T-Bone uh, Burnett. So, you know, that's, this is, you know, the Coens have talked about one of the first is... movies that we ever covered on um, You've Never Seen, question mark, exclamation yep. point. Yep. So, you know, it kind of ties thematically, the Coens have talked about how this is kind of a spiritual successor to that film. So, yeah, I, I really just was kind of blown away. And I've been thinking about it just all day leading up to this podcast about how impressive it was to really just give you something where nothing changes at all and ha- have that still be so surprising. Mm-hmm. And he has so many moments too, where he, he brushes really close to something that could have changed his life. Like at yes. the very end, he is walking past a young Bob Dylan mm-hmm. on the verge mm-hmm. of becoming not only a superstar, but literally this massive piece of American culture. And it just passes him by like mm-hmm. a ship in the night and he just yep. stays in this loop, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it makes it even drives that point home even harder that he comes. He has these these little moments where it could have been him. It could have changed. It just wasn't. He just yep. wasn't in the right place yep. at the right time. 
Exactly. Or like if he had, you know, agreed to ta not just be take the $200 and actually get the royalties on that thing, it would have changed his life. But he's he's stuck in the loop. You know, he's stuck in that that endless cycle that we said we feel so many people. And another great detail is that he Oscar Isaac plays his dad. So he sees his future. He sees nothing changing. Uh, and I, I just love all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, I've been living with this movie since before it was even released. Um, I came across this movie um, because of a special on HBO when I was just passing through, you know, watching things. Um, this special on the music and making of the music came across. And um, because I fell in love with it, I've always loved. I'm not very big fond of uh, of Bob Dylan himself. I'm actually fond of this music that came before him and the folk music and and was the inspiration for like a lot of the bands that I follow, like specifically um, Mark Mumford and Sons, which Marcus Mumford came along with Justin Timberlake and and then Oscar Isaac himself to write this music for for this movie. And this was, of course, the first one of the first instances um, where I kind of like what became fully aware of Oscar Isaac Hernandez Estrada. Um, my beloved as, yeah um i i i like to say his full name because that's how i think <laughs> i i i prefer to, to name him um because hollywood's the only reason why but yeah so like yeah like and that's why i have the albums and and not just the actual album but this this is the one that that the music special was on i really do recommend it it's uh. um another day um mm -hmm. you can find it on youtube but yeah, so like I, it's just become a movie that I've I've fallen in love with because of the music mainly, but also yeah the story and you guys touch a lot on the cylindrical way of this story and and um it the Coen brothers actually kind of like loosely based it or it was kind of inspired on a Greenwich at artist that came right before Bob Dylan and um is essentially kind of like n known to have just missed his shot essentially and that's why lewin davis kind of has this feel of like always something always going wrong with him and always missing out i mean like um and he's yeah, Dave definitely Van Ronk a, is the name of the guy. yes yes yeah. and um he is just deaf essentially a cynical man because because he's like been put down or so much like you get the sense that his father never really approved of him and stuff like that. He was always put down. His his sister kind of puts him down, and like his ex girlfriend puts him down, even though that she's essentially you know a slut herself and like messes around with a lot of men and and like and could have been most likely was Justin Timberlake's um, child that she was pregnant with, but she just wanted to blame him. And it also comes across as like he's never really recovered from the loss of of his partner, who it seems like was his best friend, to the point where he's just he just can't not let anybody else play his friend's part or sing his friend's part. That's why he gets um, angry at at that poor woman, unfortunately. And he won't team um, up with anybody else, you know, which is is heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely I, I even though like he is an asshole and stuff like that, for me 
personally, I, I understand him completely with where mm-hmm. he's coming from. I definitely am cynical like that as well. And, and kind of not to his degree, but an asshole too. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, he's just is, I just love him in this character. This was like essentially when I fell in love with Oscar Isaac Hernandez Estrada. The first instance where I, I did interact with him, but he, I mean, see him, but I didn't know it was Sucker Punch, but this was the second one that like mm-hmm. fully captivated me with his character. And yeah, like it's it's such a, like the Coen brothers do. I think that very much that they embrace this this hero's journey. Like, they have made, I think, in my opinion, movies that are, like, case studies for the hero's journey with, the like we said, um, with um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is my first favorite of theirs. Just that's, like, straight out, that's the odyssey. And so this one kind of, like, yeah, being, it, it does feel like, like a, a successor to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou because it is another odyssey of a of a story with the cat and it's alluded to that with the cat being called um ulysses Ulysses, and then also him passing by the disney classic um uh incredible journey um yes and they they fudged the year like i believe it the that film actually came out like a few years after it was Mm -hmm. set the coens were Mm -hmm. like it's thematic. It's yeah. It's gonna be they they should have just put up the Homeward Bound Two uh, Journey to San Francisco. That would have been better. It would have been a little uh, more anachronistic, but that's cinema. That's cinema, <laughs> baby. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely just the like. That's why I really love the Coen Brothers. Um, oh, brother, whatever style in this because they use music a really incredible way that I would really love like if I were to make a movie in my time in my lifetime to use music in this way is like creating a thematic story along with the music and just the fact of like like take for example like when he sings fairly well it starts off with like he he in the timeline in the chrono the actual timeline like it starts Mm -hmm. off with him kind of like remissing playing a record of him and and um and his partner who who was actually marcus mumford on the record um but it's not his likeness (laughs) but yeah so it's him playing that and feeling sad and then you have the second instance where it comes up is um when he's playing it for that that group of friends and then the girl sings it or the woman sings it and he gets upset with it and then finally at the end it's him singing it on his own and kind of i think like the, I like I do, it, his life still kind of ends up cynical in a way like repeating but I think that there are like little nuances that that indicate that he is growing and he might it kind of like it leaves it ambiguous and whether he will stick with going like and getting better maybe or if he'll follow that same line and still be an asshole and not get anywhere but yeah, like so. Finally, in the last instance where he sings fairly well, um, Dirk's song on his own, and it's kind of like I think, like an accepting finally of his grief, of his like, um, in my opinion, that's how I am. I interpret it. But that's the beauty of the Coen Brothers movies is that there's a lot of interpretations of their stories, of their endings, of, and that's what makes them great storytellers. In my opinion, is just uh that 
you could take all their stories and like you said earlier of of it it can apply to your life differently in different stages of your life and that's the beauty of the cohen brothers in my opinion 100 percent agreed mm-hmm. you know and and something that you touched on that i really feel very strongly about in the way of you mentioned is that lewin is an asshole but you feel so so deeply for him and you still understand him despite all of his actions you know mm-hmm. like he literally feels worse about losing a friend's cat than getting his best friend's wife pregnant. You know, well, that's not you his know? best friend; it's his ex-wife's or ex-girlfriend or ex- I don't even. She, that's I, the thing that too that it's 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 it never might, defined, and it's my, it's possible that oh yeah, like you think that it might she, be. I never, um, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it, it it's might. Quite, it's kind of like yeah, it's, it's never kinda, quite. It's ambiguous, like like a lot of things in this movie, like. Even, um, even her pregnancy, like originally, like I had thought that the reason why she thought it was Lewin's in the first place was because, um, Justin Timberlake's character, Jim is, um, sterile. But then like rewatching it today, I'm like, oh, he's not. It like clearly could have been like most Mm -hmm. likely was his because Lewin was like wore a condom and all that was protective. But, but it's, so it's like very, her character the more and more you watch it, her her character is like, she's kind of twisted. She's like not yeah. a great person because it's like, because <laughs> instead of yeah, it's just I I don't I I love the actress of course, and that's why that's one of the reasons why Marcus Mumford was so like involved in the creating of this music because it's it's Megan um uh, what's it's Carrie Mulligan. Mulligan Carrie Mulligan that's what it is yeah yeah but. Yeah. but- the thing is, is that despite how prickly he is and how kind of he he keeps people at arm's length, he purposely pushes people as far away as possible in, in the moments when he explodes on at, at that dinner when, you know, she starts singing uh, Mike's part in Fare Thee Well, you know, when she he pushes all these people away. But the the Coens have a way of using the the world one of my favorite things about them as a director as directors is that they are visual storytellers through and through if their character doesn't want to speak they will frame it and fill out the world around them that speaks for them and so even though lewin keeps everything at his chest and and does everything as much as he can to keep people out the way that they filmed and built out the world around him speaks miles, you know, speaks so much for the depths of depression that he's feeling. You know, the world around him is so cold. All the light is in the film is so white and it's the everything is kind of blurred at the edges. Oh, and, and it kind of feels like it's it's run through this this filter, almost like an oil painting, you know, mm-hmm. almost like the world around him isn't quite tangible, you know. And so despite how much he's trying to shove everyone away, he the world around him is speaking for him. And if anyone else besides the Coens had made this film, I don't think it would have landed. But they understand how to get the rest of the image to inform you of character. That is something consistent across the directorial styles. They, they're very fantastic visual storytellers on that front. And so I feel like even if you, I, I, the first time I watched this, I couldn't quite, you know, again, I had just started film school. I didn't know how to 
put words to these things, but there was something in me that understood. I had had times where the world felt as blurry and cold as the world around Lewin was, you know? And I, and even though I couldn't wrap words around it, I was like, oh, okay. I, I, feel, I feel for this, this guy who is clearly hurting very deeply how much he's try he's he's being as prickly and awful and and as a defense mechanism pushing people away, I still feel it. I get it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. 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 And also also yeah. that shot where he's hitchhiking on the highway on the way to Chicago. I think that's one of the most gorgeous shots mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. I can frame it. You know, yeah. I can frame it for yeah. a while it's stunning. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think- and then also also, like uh, they like you building on what you said about having these people around him kind of like base his actions and how he is. Like, take for example, like, and how he, he whenever he tries to fight back against like his like his um circumstances, like the world always like fights against him even harder. Like, take for example, John Goodman's character, who of course is a staple of the Coen Brothers, and in the in this part is just as bizarre and oh, so out there and thrown. It, he just always is. He's always great in the Coen Brothers movies to come in randomly and and have such a random like stint, like for example, like in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, such a random mm-hmm. character. But yeah, for this one, um. To have that whole conversation of like with Lewin of oh I yeah I used to have a partner he threw himself off the 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 um, the Washington George Washington Bridge and instead of like having any kind of sympathy he's like who what kind of loser does that yeah Yeah, you want to throw yourself off the Brooklyn Brooklyn Bridge Bridge. yeah (laughs) and it's and and then like Lewin kind of like tries to fight back on that but then like essentially like. And John Goodman's character like puts him like threatens him like with voodoo and puts him yeah. in place and stuff like that. And it's very, it's very sad. It's clearly to, like, an empty like, threat, you know. Yes, yeah. it's an empty threat, but yeah. it's like, like always, everybody's gonna always hate him. So he's like, at this point, he's like, why even try? Why even yeah. try anymore? Everybody's gonna and, hate me. And, and stuff when like he. That. When he, I've noticed in instances when he does try, when he does try to open himself up, especially through his music, every time he tries to open up to someone, he gets a terrible reaction. <laughs> when he yeah. plays for um, for Bud Grossman in Chicago, mm-hmm. and all you get, all he gets is, I don't see much money in this. Yeah. When he oh, tells, uh-huh. when he tells um, Jean that he loves her, mm-hmm. he gets a come on when yeah. he plays that old folk song for his f- ailing father his father shits himself <laughs> and those it's, moments yeah. are are can't, the, and another thing with the coen brothers they have the, this incredible mix of comedy and tragedy in the same moment and those moments can be very comedic you know but mm-hmm. it's also inherently tragic in the moments where he's just enough to try to reach out he gets Mm-hmm. shut back down mm-hmm. you know 100 mm-hmm. yeah. percent. yeah just a yeah, fun I, fact I totally on agree. um just a fun fact on on the the um audition you could say to bud grossman which has my my personally my favorite 
song of the whole whole album. Death of Queen Jane. Um, yeah, it's such a beautiful. I I've always said like if I had the privilege to like share a stage with Oscar Isaac, that's the only thing that I would ask. Like, can we please sing Death of Queen Jane because <laughs> it's such a beautiful mm-hmm. song. He helped um he helped kind of like create it, that song as well. But yeah, like kind of like quick um fun fact with that. Bud Grossman is played by the same actor that played Khonshu in Moon Knight. F. Murray Abraham. Murray yes. Um, fucking. And but. I fucking love. So yes. this he could. Killed Mozart. could <laughs> so this could technically be the first kind of like downgrading of Khonshu to to uh to um, Mark Spector, if you will, because <laughs> like it's, it's this definitely. Guy, he's a he's a music critic through and through. All right. Mm-hmm. He, he listens to Lewin. He listens to Mozart. All right. We got the crossover event of the century, okay? We're going to cross the MCU with the Cohenverse. Just yeah, you wait. Also, exactly. he's, he's fucking great that's in how, Mythic Quest. Anybody who hasn't how, seen Mythic Quest yet, watch that shit right now. Mm-hmm. That's how, like, I think Oscar Isaac was like, I, oh, I know the perfect person to, like, downgrade me. Yeah, let's bring him <laughs> in. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I really wanted to circle uh, circle back to a couple things you guys were both saying really fast. First of all, Austin, it was a while ago now, but you were talking about how visually impressive these movies are and how mm-hmm. well the Coens use their spaces around them and stuff. And I think a big part of that is they work with these really great cinematographers that they trust. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of the few times actually they didn't work with Roger He was unavailable. Deakins. Yeah, I know because he was doing uh, Prisoners, I think. Um, mm. But he obviously, uh, Deacons is the GOAT, but they have worked with, mm-hmm. uh, this uh, This was also nominated for Best Cinematography. This is uh, Bruno uh, Del Benel, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, so he's done a few of their films. Uh, he did Tragedy Macbeth and Ballad of Buster Scrubs. Also some mm-hmm. really beautiful movies like Across the Universe and Big Eyes, which, you know, say what you want about the quality of those films. I think they look absolutely Vision stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Across the, the Universe is a great Carter movie, book. and we're going to be covering it on, on You've Never Seen. Question All right, well, I've seen it, so I, I don't need to be on that one. Um, but but I, I do think that they really they work with the best people and that they have such a good relationship with these cinematographers and are able to, you know, communicate so well what they want and have it come across so beautifully in their movies. That's not by coincidence. And then also what you guys were saying about the kind of way that the Coens mix humor and comedy. And this is, I guess you could call it a black comedy. It almost is, but it is still a drama and the way they blur those lines, even in the most serious Cohen films, like something like No Country for Old Men, like they are, even when they do their more serious movies like that, there's still really funny beats in them. And mm-hmm. there's definitely like the whole thing about the Brooklyn Bridge is hysterical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's so true to life that even when you're in the most serious situations, there are things that are absolutely hilarious. Or when you are in this very funny moment, something can just change on the dime and just be heartbreaking like for example you all the things you mentioned austin like i think the one that got me the most is when you find out that she has also been sleeping with that other guy the the guy who runs the the club of the the cafe because he and that's what sets him on his kind of drunken rage and that sets him on the loop that puts him back at the beginning of the movie is because to him he was like okay like this this affair quote unquote where they slept together to him it means something he tells her that he, he loves her but when he finds out this, he's just another guy that she mm-hmm. has, you know, had a fling with. He's he feels absolutely useless and meaningless, and that is just so heart wrenching. And I I I know this is like I'm really glad you chose this because 
this is a movie that I have been wanting to watch since it came out. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why it, it does kind of get that underrated tag is because of all the Cohen movies, it's not one that, you know, is like everyone's like, oh, you got to see it. It's, it's not like, oh, brother, we're out there or the Big Lebowski where all the film bros are out there like talking about it. You know, it's not in their mm-hmm. top four letterboxed, but it's still just as good as those movies. And yeah. for whatever it, reason, it didn't, you know, connect with it or didn't get as big as those ones. Yeah. If I, again, I said, I said earlier that if any other directors had tried to tackle this film, I don't think it quite would have quite landed the way that it does. Mm-hmm. But if any other director had somehow managed to make this film and make it land as, as it did, as it does, I know words, I promise. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like it would not be underrated. I feel like it mm-hmm. would be something that would have gotten a lot bigger, but the, the Coen brothers have this insane canon of films, mm-hmm. you know, like just, uh, it's, it's, yeah words yeah you know like there's so many so many of their films are iconic you know mm -hmm. like and are considered some of the greats of american cinema of the last few decades and not one not two (laughs) multiple that are uh, amongst that tier of of film and filmmaking and so with a film like this that is so strong and such this beautiful capsule of a film amongst that canon it just it, it that's how it kind of gets this this uh, label of underrated you know mm-hmm. um, it just mm-hmm. kind of gets a little bit overlooked in the shuffle of that of talking about those those greats that have immense that have kind of entered pop culture you mm-hmm. know and and kind of the the broader cultural consciousness but yeah. in my in my opinion I think Inside Lewin Davis is one of their strongest films as filmmakers and I feel mm-hmm. like especially as creatives you know i feel like this this is a story of of a of someone pursuing an art and and trying to be creative and that again that loop and that feeling of beating your head against a wall sometimes pursuing a creative craft (laughs) feels like that and you have these moments of like yeah i could end up going nowhere i could grind day in and day out and give everything i have and i could still go nowhere people Mm -hmm. have Countless even when he, even if you're talented like he is. Yeah, even if you're immensely talented, you mm-hmm. can still end up nowhere. Mm-hmm. hundred there has been countless people before me who have been just as talented and got nowhere, you know? And and there's that there's that anxiety that is infused into it that I feel like comes from a very genuine place from mm-hmm. them that can only kind of come from pursuing uh an art form pursuing that kind of creativity mm-hmm. and so I, yeah. I feel like this film is even more personal than than some other others you know mm-hmm. and that's why i will argue why it's it's kind of it deserves to be up there it deserves mm-hmm. it yeah and, yeah i think we said about the fail. same thing i think we said about the same thing in, when we were talking about um uh oh brother where art thou on on our other podcast um of the Coen brothers have so such a prolific cinematography or um that or I mean um cinema history that things just kind of like it's just like they get kind of brought in as like oh it's another Coen brothers movie they're watched by the diehards and and stuff like that but because Coen brothers are so prolific and create so many have created so many movies after movies after movies that um you know it, it's kind of like bound for some of them to go not be pushed by the wayside but just like 
kind of like watched and then yeah now now on to the next one but yeah for me i like i said like i'm definitely sure that that and that because for me i knew about it because i love this type of music i love uh which is a type of music that unfortunately like still is kind of niche like like mumford and sons were the are one of the few that kind of like have brought it out into the open but but even from like Please, like I said, go and watch that that special with all the music. Con- it's a it's a concert, but mm-hmm. all of those artists like Nickel Creek, um, or or um, Punch Brothers, Punch Brothers, yeah, to this yeah. album, you know, and they're the ones yeah. who sing the all triangle. Yeah, the yeah. Nick, um, Nickel Creek is is Chris Trial's other. Um, he has like three different mm-hmm. bands, but but yeah, um, that Punch Brothers. That's what I meant. Oh, I love yeah. him. I love him. I I, I need to see so him much. in concert. Yeah, so for like the Punch Brothers, like which I fell, I've fallen in love with. Like, if I were able to make a movie, I want to put one of some of their songs <laughs> into, because they're just so brilliant. Please go and wa- listen to the Punch Brothers. Give them some love. But I just yeah, an album. Oh, I'm so yeah. yeah, so excited. But um, it yeah, like it, it's definitely just that about it, this this story is like. It's all so meta in a way because, like, you're taking this type of music that, unfortunately, it's, like, still on the outskirts of mainstream even today. And and so it's very much, like, telling that story of just being just right outside of of the pop, pop culture, you know? It still has a culture to it, but it's not the populace. So, yeah, and yeah. and he tries to even sell out, and he even fails at that, you know. And I think mm-hmm. that is something that is so meta, you know. Like I think, you know, because I think that the Coen Brothers, I don't know if they have really tried to go super mainstream, but you know, they're have had their moments where they maybe like something like the Lady Killers, where they kind of like came on and did that, and they're I think they're a lot more comfortable not selling out and not being these big producers. They would rather fail. And there's this really interesting video that anybody should look up where it's del toro kind of interviewing them about this guillermo del toro um another prolific director and it you another know, one of my beloveds <laughs> yes uh, and it but it's, it's to your point austin about how i really don't think anybody else could have made this movie and they were talking about how people kept asking them after the movie came out like oh well did you ever think about like writing a movie about a folk musician who's a success and they were like it literally never even entered our mind and mm-hmm. I think that, you know, the kind of the failure of the folk musician is just so kind of integral to like the kind of whole mythology around it. And it works so well with the story and of the kind of indie filmmaker. And, you know, you brought up Ariel, Bob Dylan and how he kind of features into this. And they mentioned him in that same interview and how he after he, you know, hit a certain level of fame, he kind of like is uh, he ends up, uh, you know, just kind of selling out and people are like, oh, well, why do you like folk music still? When and when Dylan went electric in the 70s, exactly. At yes. the Newport <laughs> Folk Festival, when he came out, it was I, I was raised on a lot of Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. when he released an album. Oh, and of course, right now, the name is escaping me. Of course it is. Um, I have to look this up or. um. But basically, um, after releasing, because I, um, oh, it was bringing it all back home. Um, after releasing primarily these folk albums like the Free Will and Bob Dylan and the Times They Are Changing, he released bringing it, uh, bringing it all back home, and it is split down the middle. It is the front half is the traditional folk that he was known for, and the back half was 
He was bringing in electric guitars and he was bringing in more of that traditional rock sound. And when he went to the, uh, that year to the Newport Folk Festival, and he brought out an electric guitar. The crowd lost their minds. They booed him off stage. They booed <laughs> Bob Dylan off stage. Yeah. Also, I'll defend that album. Bring It All Back Home is a great album. Um, but uh, it, it's funny because a lot of people conf- confronted Bob Dylan about that being like, did you... Like, you're not an authentic folk musician. You've given up. You've you've sold out. And Bob Dylan was like, I don't care, you know, <laughs> almost. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like with with the film itself, there's this kind of question of authenticity um, as like, especially centering it on folk musicians, specifically the folk scene in, mm-hmm. 60, in the 60s in Greenwich Village, where it's this perception of like, I feel like Lewin almost kind of confines himself to this life of, of being a a starving artist who's homeless, Mm -hmm. who's bumming off people's couches and playing Mm -hmm. basket houses that thinking like, okay, that gives my art a sense of authenticity. There's that line uh, when he's uh, having his blow up, his meltdown at the Gorefine's house where he's like, this is my art form. You know, this is how I pay the bills. This is how I pay my rent. He doesn't pay rent. He's homeless, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And, and he takes it so seriously. He takes the authenticity of it so seriously. And, something that's very meta that's brought in later on is that the, uh, the woman that he actually boos offstage that he heckles that, you know, again, sends him back into that loop where he gets the shit kicked out of him in the alleyway the next day. That woman is just a woman named Nancy Blake. And she was an actual folk singer from that era. So when authenticity is literally right in front of him, it goes clean over his head. Um, so he's kind of striving for this authenticity and this, this, this sense of like, yeah, I'm a real folk musician and it doesn't serve him at all. Mm -hmm. And it it even hinders, I feel like folk music especially is about storytelling. It is about kind of connecting with, with others through storytelling. And the whole thing that's driven home throughout the whole thing is Lewin doesn't connect with people. He can't connect with people. That's told over and over and over again. You don't connect with people, you know, and so it's it's kind of this this question of authenticity, both to that like I I feel like is a an, an interesting thing that they play with in choosing this specific era and this specific genre of music to put this character into. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I did he's... not mean to like go off. Oh like no, that. no hey, problem. No, no worries. No, we've all been he's, doing it. He's but like that kind of he's very much like. A uh, character from one of uh, Derek's favorite movies, La La Land, like in in Ryan Gosling's character of like just the question of purity of this art form, or you know, like music should be seen as being it, it's it's allowed to have metamorphosis and and to be mm-hmm. creative, like that's what you know it is an art, so it should have a creativity to it. It shouldn't be kept in a box. And yeah, you get definitely get that sense in. Lewin of kind of like questioning every like every almost every artist that comes onto the stage of like does this work is this working for you and even with uh please Mr. President you know like just how it it is working and it's gonna be a hit and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and 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 so it's very much like having is are you gonna be obnoxious and and stringent on what you think is right or are you gonna allow and accept the flexibility of what art is and what music is, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that he starts to heckle her and boo her before she's even started singing. 
And what that reveals is that he is not booing her because he doesn't agree that her music isn't folk music. It's because she doesn't look to him like what he imagines a folk music a folk musician should look like. She doesn't fit mm-hmm. into his perception. This is some folksy housewife from like the south of the Midwest or whatever. So he's like just starts booing her and heckling her mm-hmm. before she can even reveal whether or not she is a folk musician because she doesn't fit into his little box of the failed, this miserable little musician, you know? I think it's also because like he was pissed too. Like, and that's another problem that oh, yeah. he has is bringing his own problems into perceptions of others. Cause in that moment, that's like right after like um, Poppy kind of like told, says like, Oh yeah, I slept with her too. And stuff like that. So bringing his problems into the per- per- like into the perception of, other- of how he perceives other people. And it's kind of very, very much like an Im- kind of impressing his own problems in- onto other people and like wanting to make other people suffer because he's suffering, mm-hmm. which is not the right thing to do, of course. But but, but yeah, it's a very human reaction. It's We've a very all... human reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing is that, again, going back to how Lewin kind of just does best efforts to push everyone away. And from the outside on paper, you're like, wow. I don't like this guy. This guy sucks. Every time he has an outburst like that, it's like, I've been there. I've had moments yeah. like that, you know? And it's like, it's such a, this, this film and this character captures so such a wide breadth of kind of the human experience. And mm-hmm. he, even those moments where he, where he's again, blowing up at the gore finds and, you know, really making an embarrassment of himself. It's like, Oh, that's uncomfortable, but I've been there, you know, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think it, it runs you through such a gamut of, again, that kind of human experience and the the line that it, it, it I mentioned that I cried again at this movie, mm-hmm. despite seeing it two dozen times is just that line. It's so simple. It's at the end where he just goes, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I am so fucking tired. I thought I just needed a night of sleep but it's mm-hmm. more than that. And it's like, yeah. are you like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been there too many times, you know, I, I've, I, and, and it's, it's, it's so, it's such a simple thing when laid out, but it hits so, so close to a, to a very d- dark I- experience, but it's something that we've, we've been there you know um currently it, it, in there <laughs> but yeah <laughs> it it and that's where i feel like this again this movie just kind of it captures so much of of this of just going through life and and the, those experiences that are very hard to capture when not kind of the coens do things so their stuff is so complex yet so simple they feel so simple and so accessible at the same time and that's the only way really to that's the way life is you know and at, at, when you look at it sometimes it's super complex super layered but really it's also simple at the same it's it's yeah there's there's no. there's there's something in in the simplicity that i feel like makes me feel deeper than a an, a dense soliloquy about the depths uh, like that articulated every little thing that he was feeling in that moment. Just the simple statement of "I'm so fucking tired," you know. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it 
Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you off. You are you are all good. I got no I got no words left because I'm now again now I'm in my fucking feelings about it. You know, good, it, good. again, it's that it, the 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 Coens just they get how they get to the core of their characters and they know how to get those characters to speak to their audience. And again, I at the very beginning I talked about how there's I feel like I have an ongoing relationship with this film and it is because the Coens know how to speak so directly to human experiences and to, to just the way that life feels that is why, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. It, it, it reminds me a lot of, you know, when I was in college and I was taking some kind of lit class and they talked about somebody like Hemingway will give you like three pages of just telling you about how a character is sad and how they feel. And then someone like Fitzgerald will, say that like he was sad and you get in just just one line you get hit so much with just that one thing and i would say that the coens are definitely in that that second camp of just like you you just need one line and it Mm -hmm. hits you so much more than like a christopher nolan monologue or something like not to knock you Mm -hmm. know hemingway or or nolan or any of these guys but you can just with just it's a precision shot of just right in the fucking feels yeah this whole film is a is a precision shot right Mm -hmm. to that right to those those points in your life where genuinely everything feels so heavy and so like am i ever gonna get out of this or is this just life now is this just an endless loop of feeling like i'm dragging myself through the motions um not to be depressed not to like be heavy or or like down or dour or anything i this film captures that feeling in the most authentic way to my to my own experiences it it captures it the simplicity of it the straightforwardness of it the like you said the precision shot that they did with this film it's it's i think it's why i love it so deeply you know i i haven't come across a film that captures that 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 feeling that that heaviness that that sense that like you're feeling so much but all you can say is i'm so fucking tired Mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> again not to get on dour note, just... <laughs> well you know it's a it's a heavy movie we got we, there's you know the, like we said there it's oh, it's my... got some heavy moments with the comedy and the the drama all mixed together my fiance knows that if i if if he comes home and I'm watching this movie by myself. He's like, oh no. <laughs> like, oh God, she's not in a good place. Oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> like, that is my barometer. If I am watching Inside Lewin Davis by myself in the dark on the couch, I'm, you need to check up on me. I'm not doing too hot. <laughs> but it's, it's beautiful oh, to even to have a film that speaks to those emotions very deeply. Doing that is not easy. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the Coens are so deft and so wonderful and have this really beautiful skill honed in to be able to do it. But like, it is not easy to accomplish at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I would say I, I, I get like My, my movie like that is probably inside out. Like that's the one mm-hmm. that I'm just like, if you see me watching inside out, be like, Hey Derek, are you okay? And the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> just over here crying okay. to a children's film. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the, the whole things about, why I love this medium. It's just, it's just, it's storytelling. We, mm-hmm. we tell stories to connect with other people and to feel seen and to have our experiences feel like we're not alone in them, you know, to have somebody that gets it. 
And this just, this is that film for me. I, I have a lot of films that bring me, make me feel a lot of joy. You know, life is a, again, complex layered thing. I've, I've feeling a bunch of different things all the time. I have films that bring me joy that I can kind of resonate with that joy. Um, but this is that film that kind of just reaches into that, that depth for me and, and really kind of oscillates at that frequency for me and just is, is special for me in that regard. I love, I love when I have a guest on or talk to somebody about a film that is so personal because I just came to this movie and like, I'm so, and I obviously really, really loved it like watching it, but now just like hearing your deep personal connection is making me just like love it even more, you know? Like, I'm like, oh man, I, I gotta, I've gotta bump it up from a four and a half to a five star. I gotta go change my letterbox <laughs> rating right now. I love, I, I, I. When we got on this call, you you thanked me for you know coming on to this, but genuinely just getting to talk with other people who who just enjoy movies. You know, movies are so freaking cool, and mm -hmm. I just to put it as as simply and as possible, like I just I it is such a gift to get to kind of share that passion with other people who who get that passion and who have had films, even if it's not the same film, but have had a film speak to them in that way, who get it. You know, that's a gift so thank you for like just letting me talk with you guys and to well, get to no, share thank you that for coming on gift. yeah it's mm, this yeah. like this has been so awesome like i i have had a blast talking with you about this film because you you your passion is so real I, I i absolutely love it yes also i will also double down on the recommendation the album to this um the music in this film is unreal yes. i am the album is so gorgeous the music is incredible it is incredibly well done uh they they chose such incredible songs and then really made these versions of it that are their own you know yeah um uh, i would go further besides getting the two albums um the actual album and then the concert album as well another project that came out of this um osmosis i like through osmosis was this also this other um project that t T. Bumbaret and and Marcus Mumford collaborated on that took lost songs of Bob Dylan and then kind of like transformed them and, and remastered them and created this other album with a few other folk singers called the New Basement Tapes. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. Please go on. I don't know if I don't. What's what song is? Do you have? Uh, what's your favorite song off there? Oh man, you know like it? it's one of those things that just comes up on my Spotify every once in a while, so I don't, I can't tell you off the top of my head. Oh okay, my mine's um, um, eyes on you, can't keep my eyes on you. That one's okay. amazing. Um, but but yeah, um, go and check check out that that album as well because it's such a, um, very much like in the vein of of Lewin Davis such an incredible music and it also has a documentary to accompany it uh, as well as the making of that and um yeah just and then of course check in check out any kind of like margaret's um mumford and sons albums they kind of like in the same vein as as bob dylan have transformed themselves and with their newer albums and such and but still keep the heart of what marcus mumford and mumford and sons are such incredible music. Yeah. And I will also extend that to Punch Brothers, who again just exactly. Hell on um, Street, specifically which... um Ahoy 
and it uh, is such uh, an incredible oh, album. All Shoy, yep. Yeah, and um, yeah. Saw, one last thing because I I was clever. I, I thought I was clever in coming up with this, and if I'm not, straight up you can tell me. Um, we mentioned earlier that Lewin Davis is kind of loosely based off of a real life folk musician who was in the scene, Dave Van Ronk, who, you know, he kind of, he's, he's all of these major players that kind of came out of that we know of like Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell, Dave Van Ronk is there, you know, in, in all of their stories. Um, Mm -hmm. And the album cover that Lewin has Mm -hmm. for his album, which is called inside Lewin Davis um, Mm -hmm. is literally like, it's, one the, for one. It's it's a mm-hmm. one for one recreation of Dave Van Ronk's album inside, inside. Dave Van Ronk. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and when we say one to one, literally one to one. Same picture. Exactly. <laughs> uh, same picture. That, same font. Yeah. Everything. But yeah, and that's but, a that's the same picture I think is on was originally on the cover of the book as well about him, too. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And mm-hmm. the fascinating thing about this, again, this is where I thought I was being clever. Probably won't. Probably. Anyways. This film is called Inside Lewin Davis, but we never get to really see what's inside Lewin Davis. There's that moment where, um, again, the Coen brothers are so brilliant in the way that they write. They're such precision shots with their irony and with their kind of, with their humor and also with the tragedy is when Bud Grossman goes, play me something off of Inside Lewin Davis. Play me something from Inside Lewin Davis. Yes. You know, and we... I think Lewin that's the friend. only interest in instance where we see inside and it, he's yep. of when course he, thrown he's aside music, again you know mm-hmm. and he is, he spends the whole film trying to make sure you do not see inside Lewin Davis that it's it's the it's through his music that you really is the only time you really get to glimpse inside Lewin Davis mm-hmm. again I'm yeah. not the I'm I am definitely not the first person that has probably said that <laughs> But um, it's fine. I got two brain cells to connect for once. So let's <laughs> take that victory. Um, but yeah, with with that, unless you guys have any other last thoughts, um, Alan's usually the one of our co-hosts kind of who proposes a little question at the end of the show. He He's uh, off for the week uh, celebrating his anniversary with his I, girlfriend. I, so. I have a question. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, so since this is a music and about connecting and stuff like that, um, for me in particular... I usually latch on to lyrics and and certain lyrics where I'm I become so infatuated by them and just these these single so single line lyrics. What single line lyrics have in like engrossed your soul and you've and at least for me I've had instances where I will like could keep repeating with that lyric because of just like the delivery of it, the musicality of it. For example, I yesterday, um, as one instance in, of mine, that's a lyric that's always stood stuck with me. Um, yesterday I went to to a, the Bare Naked Ladies concert. Um, and yeah, and they have a song called "Pinch Me," mm-hmm. and just one lyric from that has always like just and even even live. Finally seeing them live, it's always I've always wanted to see them, and finally got to see them live yesterday. One lyric in that song always brings me almost close to tears or two tears if I'm alone. And it's it's pinch me because I'm still asleep. Please, God, tell me that I'm still asleep. And and that's just one of the just the way that it's sung. 
just the music that goes with it, just the delivery of it is always like just like it just like always encompasses me. Um, mm -hmm. So have you guys ever had a lyric like that? Like oh, tattoo God, like yes. level lyric, you know, I will say. Yeah. Like you'll get this tattooed on your body one day. Very much so. Uh again, I was I was raised on a lot of Bob Dylan. Uh my and and really folk music is is like I mentioned before, it's storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, Bob Dylan actually got awarded the Pulitzer Prize for poetry a few years back, somewhat controversially, you know, but his his lyrics very much are poetry. And as I was kind of raised, there was always music around our house. My dad always kind of always reminded me to kind of stop and listen to things, always listen to lyrics. And so I have countless, countless ones, you know, that mm -hmm. I can, but one that's been hitting me lately. I mean, it hits me every so often. Cause I think, I think an essential part of if you're in your mid or your early twenties, every so often you need to stop and listen to Vienna by Billy Joel and just have a good cry over it. But a lyric from that is, um, and you know that when the truth is told that you can get what you want, or you can just get old that the whole song, you know, the whole, all the lyrics there, but just that always feels like someone took a fucking like frying pan to the back of my head <laughs> another <laughs> you know? one just one more because like this one i want to have on my future wedding band inside mm -hmm. my wedding band is um from dave matthews bands inside the idea of you um or the idea of you i think it's called um there's a lyric that it's a the song is about pining for somebody and wanting and loving the somebody even though that they're not in like falling for you because they're inside you're inside the idea of you and and this one lyric that says i feel it it's as real as laughter and it's such amazing like like to love like it's like laughter so pure that to feel that love it's is as real as laughter so that's another one mm -hmm. i mean i like a teenage girl in 2013 have a lyric on my instagram bio um <laughs> which is um uh i've been a romantic for so long all i've he ever heard is love songs from the xx i just you know me being kind of a hopeless romantic i really i i that lyric just kind of always speaks to me is that you just kind of see the world through rose colored glasses and i i love the xx probably also every lyric the killers have ever written would probably be something but that's just every their entire um, discography, but um, if I had to pinpoint one, it might be that one. I just, it just, I just, it's just, you know, it could be, you could take it a few different ways. Um, and I, I, it really, and it just sounds good too. Like it's, it's a really cool sounding line, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll throw one more in because I keep mm -hmm. touching on Bob Dylan. Um, I, my, I, I discover, I kind the free will and Bob Dylan, uh, the Free Will and Bob Dylan and Blood on the Tracks are probably my two favorite Dylan albums, but Free Will and Bob Dylan, I remember I listened to on loop when I was about 16, um, and I pretty much know backwards and forwards, but um, there's a song on it called Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. I guarantee you've heard it because it's been covered <laughs> a million times, but um, just the the lines, uh, so long, honey, babe, where I'm bound, I can't tell. Goodbye's too good a word, babe, so I'll just say, fare thee well. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, just yeah. like just this good storytelling anyways yeah yeah right. <laughs> right. well i i did also have one question ariel kind of beat me to the punch but i still i still do want to ask my my film question and that is do you guys have a favorite music or a favorite um kind of non-musical score so something like this which is you know it's not necessarily original songs 
Um, we might call it a jukebox musical, but something like this where it is popular songs, a favorite soundtrack like this, you know. Are you talking like a like a Moulin Rouge or something like that? Yes, and that was actually going to be my example. Was Moulin Rouge a jukebox uh-huh. musical? They call it sometimes, which is I mean, can I, it I be can it be anything else but Moulin Rouge? I right. mean, oh come my on. god. <laughs> It's iconic. Ewan McGregor randomly doing that opt up in the middle of uh, your song uh, on the on the uh, I can't tell if the green or the blue. Like he just randomly starts scream shouting. You know, it's it's uh. yeah. Yeah, um, right. One of my Mulan, besides Moulin Rouge, which I also have the album of that, and I love it, of course. Um, but also um, bringing back to, to one of the movies of the cinematographer that, that we are going to be discussing fairly soon on, on um, You've Never Seen is uh, Across the Universe. I love that movie with a passion. It's one I'll of my favorite. Top that movie. I love yeah, it. It's one of my top three mu- movies of all time in no particular order. Uh, but yeah, it's such a brilliant thing to take these. And that's I that's my kind of storytelling is is I love taking songs and like integrating the songs and the lyrics specifically into like the storytelling and like kind of furthering the story. Mm-hmm. Brilliant movie. Um, but the music, how the music is utilized, how the different taking you know classic Be- Beatles songs, but twisting them in a way, tell the story of like what this character is feeling, what what exactly are we trying to portray here you know but still having that kind of classic Beatles music but for example like um I want to hold your hand in that is turned into like an up from an upbeat music song that we all know into like a more ballad of this of this unacquited love story Mm -hmm. and like that's just one instance in that that movie but definitely, I think, in my opinion, I um, I think Across the Universe has to be my pick. Yeah, I will also mm-hmm. uh, throw out because you did you did get to Moulin Rouge before I did technically. <laughs> um, I I will throw out I love Rocket Man. Oh my yes, god! Yeah, that I, is yeah. my favorite music biopic for sure. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, the thing is, again, I was raised in a house with a lot of music, you know, and I have very distinct music that I associate with each parent. And Elton <laughs> John is my mom, and uh, <laughs> God bless her. Um, but uh, I, I think the thing about that that works is that it frames Elton John's life in his music, you know, and mm-hmm. so it, it it really strength because we all know. The music we all know tiny dancer and your song and you know saturday night's all right for fighting you know like those very iconic songs but to tie it back to his experiences that he actually wrote those songs from mm-hmm. i feel like it then mm-hmm. it, it's almost this gateway for us to connect to that and the fact that they didn't just leave the music as like a diegetic thing of oh they're we're only going to play the music when he's playing them on stage they play with that line of reality and uh-huh. have these fantastical sequences mm-hmm. that oh, again only further informs us of where Elton John is at as a character at that point in his life and in his mm-hmm. story it's just uh Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That Beautiful. scene yeah. where he's playing the troubadour and he starts playing Cro- Crocodile Rock and everyone starts rising yes. off the floor. Mm-hmm. My yeah. mom and I, when we saw that in the theaters, we were just like goosebumps. We just ugh. yep, yep. And the fact and that Taron Edgerton did not get nominated for an Academy Award. I know. For that, I'll always no, be bitter no, about it. No, <laughs> no. The whole bitterness between 
Bohemian Rhapsody getting so much love and stuff like that, but not Rocketman is just a travesty. And I definitely, <laughs> I bet you anything, if Rocketman came first, it would have gotten what it deserved. But mm-hmm. and definitely Agreed. a better way of telling a bio, a music biopic. 100%. But we also on the on the vein of a Moulin Rouge and these kind of uh, and like Rocketman, um, we have Elvis coming out by yeah, Bob Lerman. And That's that true. looks incredible. And yeah. I cannot wait for that movie. It I has mean, everything um, to do with us. Oh, mama. <laughs> don't, don't, Elvis is like sacrilege in my, in, to my family. So you can't make fun of him. Um, I'm making not, fun of his impression. I'm not making fun of the man himself. The man, the like Austin Butler does an he's incredible. Great. He's great. He's, he's, he's going to like, I want him already based on the trailers. He needs to win. A, like He needs to be nominated at least <laughs> just from the trailers. Have you seen yeah. the videos of the fact that he's been unable to actually get rid of the Elvis accent? Despite the fact that <laughs> they stopped filming like a year he'll get, ago. He'll get that, it better. Uh, no, that, it sucks. But yeah. Oh no, that poor man gave a lot for that. Film. I know. Yeah. So he, yeah. he deserves his flowers. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, I, 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 my, uh, my dad grew up in Vegas in the, in the late sixties and early seventies. And he'll always talk about how he saw Elvis in a dinner club when he was five years old and he felt (laughs) like he got struck by lightning. So Elvis is also one of those like, kind of (laughs) like, again, like almost like, um, uh, religious figures yeah, you know, that yeah, I, was, yeah. I was raised with a yeah. lot of music and my I, I'm feel I feel very grateful that I was I was raised mm-hmm. in a house where there was always just really good music and I was taught to appreciate what was being played around me and the history mm-hmm. and the context yeah. and settling these artists and their story and the, the music they created in their contexts of why they created it mm-hmm. when they created it and why it yeah. was important so i'm yeah. i shout out to randy and kelly kendrick you yeah. uh, did a good one on that one yeah, yeah, yeah definitely i, I, I grew vein, up in thanks a to, thanks to richard mcduff who my dad who was a, a shit in a shitty cover band in the 70s but definitely knew his music iconic yeah yeah i grew up in a very similar um household at least from my grandparents, uh, my grandmother. That's how I got my love for Elvis. And we all got our love for Elvis. And then mm-hmm. it's even like grown more in the appreciation because my my brother is such a, a music buff and he just like becomes a historian on, on all these types, on, on, on all these artists as well. But yeah, definitely. Music, I feel, is like what like we kind of touched on is, is uh, storytelling. But I feel... Exactly is storytelling in a very pure way than even visual. Like I think mm-hmm. it, it sounds are so such a primitive part of us that I think that with music, it's so, it's so easy to engross and touch people's like essentially their souls, you know, mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's just like, so um, maternal in a way or comforting. And I think it's mm-hmm. so, so much more like, in like you know like i don't know it's just so much more than than even seeing or movies or stuff like that but so yeah, to have I, these movies that are engrossed this music is just makes in my opinion like some of the best type of movies but yeah, yeah. and i definitely think like you like you said music is storytelling and i feel like the reason we we are so drawn to to films to TV shows to music, you know, there's a, an intrinsic part of us that craves connection and storytelling is one of the, the 
purest ways of doing that, of connecting with the the people around us. That is something that has gone back thousands and thousands of years, you know, cave paintings on the wall, the most prim primordial forms of music we have wanted to create and connect through storytelling since we began, you know, and there's something so beautiful about coming to a, a film that really gets to the core of that and draws upon music, this other form of storytelling, this other form of connection to really kind of heighten, heighten that and, and really create that, that kind of pathway for that connection. That's, yeah, that's why yeah. we're here. That's why we want to mm -hmm. make, make art mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, I won't dwell on this too much because we have already spent a lot of time on this question, but I didn't want to throw out one more. Uh, and that Feel was bet between George Miller making movies about a post-apocalypse in the desert and like craziness. He made a movie about singing penguins and it's fucking amazing. I goddamn love Happy Feet and it's Happy iconic. Feet too. Mm -hmm. It's iconic. so good. Legendary. <laughs> Just had to throw that out there before, before we completely wrapped up. Austin, uh, thank you so much for being on. I had an absolute blast talking to you. If people want to hear more of your stuff, and of course they would want to, why don't you tell them where they can find it? Well, you can find me talking about all things sound for film on TikTok. I am at AOK.WAV, um, as we mentioned before. Um, I am a professional, uh, I work professionally as a sound editor. And so this kind of sound for film is my world. It is my favorite thing to talk about. So I geek out a lot over there. Um, and if you want to hear some of my sound design work, uh, you should listen to our podcast, The Legacy Saga. Um, I do all of the sound design work for it which is so much fun to kind of design and build out this world of fantasy and um an adventure um and i also voice the character of atara on it that is actually more terrifying than sound designing <laughs> the episodes for me but you know uh we're about to wrap up our first season so if if you haven't started listening now's a good time to start catching up you can find us on all podcast platforms just look up the legacy saga it should have a purple cover yeah, it's good stuff. I've definitely I've li listened to it before. It's really it's really engaging, and I have to say the sound quality is very very good and makes me very self self conscious about <laughs> editing this show. Oh, dude, <laughs> sound is so much harder than people give it credit for, oh dude. God. But like, yeah. but like, sincerely, thank you. That is actually a big compliment because trust me, whenever I go to upload an episode of the Legacy Saga, I'm always like shaking and like white knuckling my desk, being like, "Is this good enough? Is this? I could do one more mix." out i could do one more pass but there's a certain point where you just gotta let go you just gotta and let it out of no, the world but it's all it's it's no. incredible i will say so everybody go ahead and listen to that thank you and i will say we also do a couple other podcasts as ariel alluded to we have our pod or her podcast i should say um you've never seen you know so look that up you've never seen with a question mark and exclamation point at the end where ariel will introduce usually either me or alan or her brother to a movie that we really should have seen by this point. Sometimes we'll introduce her to something that is kind of iconic or just kind of legendary in pop culture, uh, whatever it might be. Um, so that definitely check that out. Whenever we do a new Marvel show, I have a pot or a new Marvel movie or a show comes out. I do a podcast called Infinity Stones and Dragon Bones. Um, so check that out as well. 
And then uh, I also am going to be bringing back my TV podcast Gateway episodes. We're going to be doing a few episode season as soon as we hit our Patreon goal. So anybody who wants to go ahead and hear that, go ahead and sign up on our Patreon. The first episode's out and all the episodes will be dropping week to week uh, once we hit that goal on Patreon. So if you can sign up, just get that and all the other stuff we do on Patreon. Just patreon.com slash undercastcompany, undercastcompany on all of the socials. Am I forgetting anything, Ariel? I think you got everything, yeah. All right, all right, cool, cool. Well, in that case, thank you again, Austin, and thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll see you all next time. Thank you for having me. It was such a joy. (laughs) Thanks for being amazing, everyone.